Hey, everybody. This episode is brought to you by our proud title sponsor, NHL Sense Arena, the next generation of off-ice hockey training for players and goalies. Look, we know how much you invest in your children's hockey development, the early mornings, the travel, and let's not forget the expenses of training for hockey camps, private ice time, the general expenses of the season. It's a lot. But wouldn't it be great to bring that on-ice practice experience home that's fun, fits into your schedule, and that's affordable? If you said yes, which I'm sure you did, you've got to check out NHL Sense Arena. It's a top-tier virtual reality training game that brings the on-ice practice experience home so you can practice anytime and anywhere, literally. You can transform any part of your home into a virtual ice rink where you're getting unlimited access to over 100 drills, training plans from top coaches and players, weekly drill challenges, and more that focus on improving hockey sense and physical cognitive skills, starting at just $33 per month. That is a lot cheaper than an hour of ice time. The physical side of hockey gets a lot of attention, but we don't focus enough on the mental side of it. It's something we talk about on this show all the time. NHL Sense Arena provides an immersive solution for players to sharpen those skills when ice time is limited or not affordable and they want to get those extra reps in. So for our listeners, NHL Sense Arena is offering an exclusive $50 off their annual plan all you got to do is head over to their website, hockey.sensorina.com. Again, hockey.sensorina.com and use our code hockey never stops and you'll level up your off-ice training by using NHL Sensorina. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting us and NHL Sensorina. Enjoy this episode of Our Kids Play Hockey. Hockey friends and families around the world, welcome to another edition of Our Kids Play Hockey. I'm Lee Elias, as always, joined by Christy Casciano burns and Mike Benelli. And we have a very special guest today. We're joined by Roger Grillo, the New England Regional Manager for the USA Development Model. Roger is a longtime hockey player and coach, and he fell into his current role in 2009, right before things really got kicked off with the ADM in America. It went public at that point. And we're going to talk to Roger today about a bunch of stuff. But mainly, as we spoke about before, it is that time of year where tryouts and evaluations go on. And we really want to talk about the culture of hockey around this time, surrounding coaches, parents, and players. Because like most times during the year, this is a time you can really learn a lot about yourself. You can learn a lot about who you're going to be, about your team, what kind of parent you're going to be, what kind of coach you're going to be. It's very unveiling. So, Roger, I want to dive right into it. Uh, you know, our, our co-host here, Christy, interviewed you earlier the week. She gave me some notes. And one of the things that really stuck out to me, it's the first question, is that, and I love that you said this, you said, create a culture that embraces failure. This is one of the hardest concepts for people to jump into. It's also one of those concepts people go, yeah, no, I get that. I get that. But... But, you know, my kid this, my kid that, um, but it is a tagline for anyone, anyone that has been successful, both in this country and abroad. So why don't you just dive into what that means for our audience first off, and we'll get the conversation going. Yeah, I think it's probably as a parent and certainly um, uh, through youth sports, it's not easy to see your child struggle. It's not easy at all to see your child uh, upset or, or hurt. Um and so our, our natural reaction is to protect that and, and, and you know, cocoon them. Um, and, and in the end of the day, uh, I think if you really sat down and, and talked to anybody that's been successful in pretty much any walk of life, there was a lot of bumps in the road. There was a lot of failure through their journey. And it was how it was dealt with, not only by themselves, but by the people around them. 
that really kind of maybe dictated where they ended up. And I think in U sports and particularly in our sport of ice hockey, it's a game of mistakes and it's managing the mistakes. And, you know, you talk to, talk to players that played at a high level, they would always say to you that after a game, they probably think back and say, geez, I wish I had those five or six shifts over again. Right. Um, and so the best players in the world fail consistently. Um, and, and so for us as the, the, the keepers of the game, the adults, the coaches, the administrators, to really kind of embrace that culture, not only embrace it, but almost encourage failure um, in a safe, positive, productive manner is, in our minds, a big part of player development. A hundred percent. And like you just said, it, you know, embracing it, people always get quizzical when, when we use that word, right? Embrace it. But the truth is, it's, it's, it's as old as the adage of the hot oven, right? The hot stove. If you put your hand on a hot stove and you burn yeah. yourself, you're not going to do it again. Right. And let's just say there's a lot of hot stoves out there, <laughs> you know, yeah. where, where people can learn. Uh, you know, one of the other quotes I have from from Christie's research that I loved, I loved, and Christy, you can comment on this too, uh, was that parents are racing to the wrong finish line. And it's not about about being the best player, but being about the best six year old, 12 year old, 18 year old. Yeah. You know, I love that quote. Why, where, where'd you come up with that? Well, we, we said it. And I think one of the, the, the my co-workers, I think, came up with it at one point. And, um, uh, you know, we see it all the time. And, and again, it, it's it's very normal for a parent. Uh, and, and a lot of our coaches are parent coaches. Um, it's, it, for, for the adults to want to have their kid be the best. There, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. The challenge there is that there's no shortcut to long-term player development. And, and I'll never forget Mike Boyle, uh, one, one of the top strength and conditioning people in, in, in certainly in our sport and in, in all the United States, longtime trainer with uh, Boston University, worked with our women's Olympic team, the Boston Red Sox, so on and so on. Um, he came up with the, the, the phrase, you can't speed farm development. And, and um, I've used it all the time. I think it's a great, great saying. And, and, and part of it is that people are, you know, you want your kid to be on the top team. You want your kid to be one of the top players. You want your kid to have success. But sometimes by, by, by really forcing that at a young age, the back side of that or the other side of the coin of that is burnout. Mm -hmm. and, and I try to get parents and coaches to always understand that at some stage, and it's usually like around that 13, 14-year-old range, we have to pass responsibility for development to the athlete because now how you eat, how, how you train, what you do away from the rink, you know, your, your strength training, your, your, your workout regimen, that's really going to be the, the deciding factor on where you go next. Right. But that takes a ton of passion. So if we're pushing those buttons down at five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, is the athlete going to have the passion to work at it when it becomes most important? And I would say a lot of our kids don't because we're, we're trying to win that race to the wrong finish line. We're trying to develop the best 10-year-old, the best 12-year-old. And if you talk to players in any sport who play at the highest level and you ask them what their record was back when they were 10, 11, 12, I guarantee you they probably can't tell you. Um, they can tell you some of the, the lumps, some of the positive, some of the fun, their buddies, their friends, but they, they don't know if they won or lost. They just enjoyed the sport. And passion is priority number one in, in sport. Right. And also, Roger, what you mentioned is 
you, of course you want your kids to be on the best team, but you also want them to have the best experience. And as you pointed out, if your kid's not in the top half of a team and on the bottom half, you got to step back and look, are they really going to have the best experience being on the bottom half of this team? That's something you really need to seriously consider too, as your kids start to move up. Absolutely. And I think an, another really big um, pothole a lot of parents step into is that they think that competition drives development at a young age, that I have to have my kid playing against and with the best players in order for them to develop. And I always try to explain to them that there's, there's a reason why there's no honors classes in elementary schools. And that's because all we're trying to do at the young age is build the base. We're just trying to give them the foundation of athleticism, of fun, of passion building, of the experience of being with their friends. Um, and, and failure, as we talked about before, is a big part of that. But if I'm constantly chasing and I'm not touching the puck or, or scoring goals or feeling good about myself, my player development really gets plateaued. It really stagnates. And, and that's a huge mistake. There comes a point in player development where competition is important. But in our minds, that's up in the, the, the mid-teens and, and later on. Um, where that, that other driving factor of playing with and against better players is a big part, but not when they're 10. Um, it's a huge mistake. And if I'm a player, you think about, you think about that goaltender who's on a team that's so strong that they might get five shots a game. <laughs> they're standing in the net the whole time. Like, are they really part of the game? Are they really experiencing the, the, the ability to overcome, I gave up a bad goal and my team lost? That's all part of player development. And, and sometimes we, we do such a poor job of allowing that to happen naturally that our kids struggle then when reality sets in, when they get older. You know, it's a great point that you're bringing up. And, you know, we love telling stories on this, on this show. Um, and one of the ones that I've been telling a lot this year is that I, am, uh, I, I, I have always coached at an extremely high level. And this is the first year I'm ever doing Adams because my son's an Adam. Yep. which is a, it's a completely different world at that level. And, uh, and I acknowledged that the first day I was like, look, if you want to know how to do like a one, three, one neutral zone trap, I'm your guy, but I'm not an Adams coach. So I, I really rely on the coach uh, of the team. And, you know, one of the things he told me early on that really was profound was he goes like, there's really only one skill we need to teach at this level and skating. He goes, and we need to make that as fun as humanly possible for these kids so that it's not a bag skate every practice. And, he has really taught me and the other coaches too, the other dads, all these fundamental skating drills that I, I, I did not benefit from because when I was growing up, the ADM, the current ADM wasn't in place yet. It was bag skate. <laughs> so yeah. um, I love that. And, you know, one of the things I tell my kids now is especially early on. And I did this early on with uh, whenever I've been doing learn to skate in the past or with this team, the first thing I say to the kids is what is the first rule of skating or what's the first rule of hockey? And I say, it's the first rule is that it's okay to fall down. So echoing you, the first thing I tell these kids is it's okay to fail. It's completely normal. That's the first rule. I don't want you to be afraid to fall down. Uh, it's something I learned from watching the ADM. It's something I've learned from other coaches, but you know, we start that early, right? You want to start that process really early. And Mike, you can comment on this too. Mike, Mike obviously is, is heavily involved in this, but you know, we, we talk about that or, or I remember when I was an older player doing drills to failure right? You do the drill until you fail, right? So that, that's the yeah. outcome is to fail. The goal is to fail, right? Uh, those were usually the most beneficial drills to me because not only did I learn my limit, 
Uh, but I learned how to push myself. I learned that I had to reach that point. It was forced failure, right? So just continuing along that line of thought, um, I think that especially like you said, under 12, which we're going to talk about 12 and up in a minute, just have fun, just enjoy the game. Like you said, you don't want the passion to, to, to burn away. I've seen that so often, man, where uh, an 18 year old who really has talent potentially to go farther just stops just because he's not enjoying it. Value system yeah. is on winning and not on love, right? The parents that you love them. Uh, let's, let's just keep going on that train of thought. I, I'm, I'm rambling now, but I thought that was fascinating when I learned to transition there. Yeah, I think we could do an entire podcast on how to deliver skating right. for our, our athletes. I think, I think what's happened, you know, in my generation, um, it was power skating. Like, you, you, you know, we're gonna do we're gonna do our twenty to thirty minutes of power. We're gonna do the non-fun stuff at the start of practice so that you can do the fun stuff at the end of practice. I mean, think about that mentality. Think about as a salesperson or as a teacher to motivate young kids. You're going to tell them we're going to do non-fun stuff for 20 to 30 minutes so that we can get to the fun stuff. So they completely disengage. They completely emotionally, mentally shut down. And player development completely stops. And yet we think we're delivering this high-end, you know, great development model. And, and I just always use the, the, the phrase Flintstone vitamins. I mean, there's a reason why Flintstone vitamins is still in business. They figured out how to de- deliver something really right. good for kids that doesn't taste like you know, something that, that's healthy, right? It tastes like, and so can we not deliver, which is something really important skating, can we not deliver that in a fun, entertaining, productive manner? And I would say absolutely yes, and absolutely we have to. If we don't, we're really not developing hockey players. We're just developing robots. And that's that's a huge, huge mistake that I think a lot of people are making with our young athletes and I would tell you also having coached college hockey for a long time you got to make it fun for those guys too and and I'll tell you what the, the pro coaches today you've got to find a way to entertain those guys to, to get them to to kind of really buy in and take that next level of engagement and intensity and focus you got you got to almost trick them into it yeah, it's about attacking it on a human level. And like you said, not a robotic level. Not not to get a deep cut here. And Mike, I am going to transition. Mike's been very patient today on this episode, not speaking yet. But, you know, um, it's funny when you look at like the Soviet Union, right? And the way they trained basically robots. I mean, there's nothing wrong with saying that. Uh, you know, the joke is they never smiled, right? But when they had Anatoly Tarasov as their coach, he had an understanding of this on making it fun. Um, and it was funny because that ended up almost undoing him in a lot of ways within his own country. For those of you who follow kind of, you know, old school global hockey, um, Anatoly Tarasov, not only did he, you know, really become the godfather of off-ice training and development, but he really loved his players. And when he moved, they moved him out of that system in the Soviet Union uh, in the early 80s, the program started to suffer, right? And not just because of the downfall of the Soviet Union. I mean, and they did create great hockey players, but if you watch any documentary about the red army or those teams, you're hard pressed to find someone that they're all very patriotic, but you're hard pressed to find someone who goes, I really loved going to practice with my teammates. I mean, the stories are, I missed my father's death because I had to be at practice. Right. So we don't want to emulate that here. Right. I mean, you take what you can learn from those development models, but uh, I agree with you hundred percent. Now, Mike, I got to turn to you. I got to give you a chance to talk. I feel bad that I haven't done that yet, but Mike, you're also heavily involved in this world, right? I, I'm sure you have like six comments already piled up that you want to say. So I'm not going to even ask a question, Mike. I'm just going to let you talk. 
Yeah, no. Well, listen, I'm 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 a, I'm I'm on the disciple of the Roger Gorillo tree. I mean, I think I think what Roger's done with USA Hockey in the past, you know, let's just say ten years, just for a, a time frame about where we were and the way we taught, right? I mean, everything that I I try to do is just continually educating myself as a coach to listen to the best coaches that have gone out there and and not only done the research but got dirty in this. Like, actually, you know, so so Roger, I guess my question to you is how can we how can we educate and influence coaches to understand that the the 12u 10u my hockey rankings world the the lonely d in the cross ice three on three where the d has to be in a, a triangle formation and that you know what can we do as 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 parents uh for our kids to educate ourselves about you know other than you know seeing some usa hockey stuff but what can we do as parents to you know, help just educate ourselves and feel good about what the rest of the world is doing and how not only is USA Hockey leading that, but USA Hockey has done the research and the, and the, and the facts, right, that give us this, uh, the story that, that, that's being told through the American development model. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not easy. It's constant discussions like this, right? It's, it's constantly getting just stories and, and, and talking about it. And, and really, at the end of the day, I think, for most people, when you do sit down and talk about it, it, it's almost like common sense kind of hits you right in the face, right? It's just like, well, that makes sense. Like I tell coaches all the time, when, um, you know, back in my generation, we could go in and we could do some team structure and we could do some of that stuff, but we had 20 to 30 hours of outdoor ice in our back pocket. And that's where we, that's where we developed. That's where we became players. It wasn't the inside stuff. That was just, that was just the extra where we really developed was on the pond and and you know, Lee, you mentioned the the the, the Russians. If you if you talk to Larianov and those guys, they'll tell you that in between apartment complexes, they played a ton of unstructured play, and right. that's where they developed their game. And then they they went inside and got a little bit more structure and discipline and all that other stuff. But the really at the base of the foundation was just to play. And, and I tell coaches all the time, when you go to the outdoor rink, <clears throat> you go to the pond, you go to your backyard rink. Do you go out there without pucks? Do you go out there and just do edge work for 20 minutes to an hour when it's 20 degrees outside? And I, I know growing up that if we lost the puck in the snowbank or, you know, just it, it disappeared because that's what happens to them somehow. It's almost like socks in a dryer. Um, <clears throat> we'd figure out a tape ball. We'd figure out a chunk of ice or we went home. We didn't start doing edge work. We didn't start <laughs> on our stride, right? Because that's not fun. It's important. We were getting that work through the game. We were getting our repetitions through the competition, through the fun. But can can we not look at how what really allowed my generation and generations before to really truly develop? Can we not take those those uh, components and then put them into the modern world today? There's some things that happened back then that we would never want to add to now. I tell the coach all the time, when you, I'm not going to a dentist that uses 30-year-old techniques. And tools. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. So why am I going to go to a coach that uses 30-year-old techniques and tools? I'm not going to do it. It's just not common sense. Right. we got to modernize things, but we can't lose um, uh, sight of what the most important aspect of it, and that is having fun 
and, and, and developing players. Right. I, I think this year, especially in this, is in this, the real hockey pause, right. That you got to see all the outdoor rinks and the, and the pop-up rinks in the backyards. And, and I joke all the time, like I've never seen a group of kids go to a pond and this year was the best. I mean, it was one of the best years ever, you know, for, for free play and just exploring yeah. the game. Right. And I have yet to see, you know, three, four kids go out in a pond and shovel off an NHL size ice rink, right? They just shovel <laughs> off just enough so they can play and they can have exactly. fun and, and touch the puck. And then, and then we get on the ice and we throw these kids on this 17,000 square feet of ice and we think we have to use it all or, or we're, we're losing development. And it's, it's, it is, it is a, 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 like a light bulb moment that when you watch children play, um, and we talk about this a lot on this podcast about the, the, the need for, a, you know, we, it's so crazy that we have to actually structure free time for kids because yeah. we're, we've taken it all away from them. And I think, uh, you know, I think certainly the American development model has done, has given the blueprint to that, but I think we're still a long way away from uh, really implementing it and seeing where parents aren't getting, uh, you know, we had a skate last night, we had 15 kids showed up and I just threw a couple pucks out and said, you guys figure your team out. And then have, you know, have, have at it. And they're like, well, aren't we going to like, do you want us to do some warm up drills or do you want to, I go, no, just, just go lay. Don't worry about it. You know, and you're looking up at mom and dad, like, I don't know if, you know, is this worth me being here? And it's such an odd, it's just an odd occurrence that this has happened where, you know, the kids don't know how to have free play. Yeah. We've kind of taken that away from them. And they can learn some great lessons by just having fun without even realizing that they're like, I'll go back. I'm going back to when my kids were really little. And the first time they were out on the ice, the way I taught them how to skate, I got Mr. Bubble out and I would blow bubbles on the ice and tell them, okay, go pop the bubbles. Now that was fun for them. Did I say, now make sure your your edge is this way and do your crossover. They just went out and had fun (laughs) popping bubbles. And by the end of the day, they were skating. You know, when you make it fun for them, they're learning all the skills without making it feel like it's so instructional and boring. So, you know, there's a lot of ways you can weave fun into lesson. But you know what I wanted to talk about too, guys, is getting back to cuts and how to handle it. It's really tough on you as a parent as well, as well as your kid. So I want to talk a little bit about how to handle it as a parent. And one of the things Roger pointed out, which fortunately we're on the same page here is you don't want to get emotional uh, after when you, you find out your kid just got cut. Try not to show that. I, when my daughter got cut from a triple A team first time, she had, oh my gosh, the tears flowed and I wanted to cry too, but I didn't let her show how much I, it hurt me too, that she didn't make it because I watched her work so hard and I thought she was ready and she didn't make it. I was crying on the inside, but not on the outside, just stay calm and tell them it's going to be okay. Take a step back. Sophia, what do we need to work on? Do you want to continue this? If you do, we'll look for a team that's more suitable for where you're at now and work hard. And if she had the passion and wanted to do that and was willing to work hard, then we'd go for it. But uh, Roger, as you pointed out, being more even keeled as a sport parent is really important. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. I, my son played college baseball and he was a relief pitcher. So there's only two things that can happen. It's either going to be good or it's going to be bad. There's no, there's no, you, you did okay today because it's, you either got the outs or you, you didn't get the outs and it's really cut and dry. It's almost like a, 
being a goaltender's parent in a shootout, right? It's, it's either going in or it didn't go in. It's, there's only two outcomes. And so to get in those high moments and those low moments as you're watching or being involved in your child's uh, journey, it's really can be difficult. But if, if you don't manage it well, it right. just adds another layer of stress on top of the, the athlete. And, you know, being around some, some great hockey or sports parents in, in my tenure, guys that I coached, they never got too high. And they never got too, on the inside, right. you know, they were hurt, you know, but there was always a smile. It was always, it's okay. And I'm going to be there for you to support you. And, you know, it has nothing to do with what I think of you. Um, and you're going to be okay. It's not the end of the world. And, and, and I think one of the mistakes that's made is I think people think like the American development models, anti-competition, anti-winning. We would say, no, every time you step on the ice, you're trying to win. Just don't look for the shortcuts to get there. Right. Because the shortcuts are what at, become the negative. Right. And, and then same thing with, with mom's dad, it's okay to want your kid to be good. It's okay to, to, to want your kid to win and win championships. That's perfectly normal. But how we handle it when it doesn't happen is really important. And Mike, have you seen kids real or parents really lose it when their kids get cut from a team? Well, it gets so emotional. I mean, and in today's sport, you know, if you got cut from your the the the, the yellow Bruin team, you know, when you were eight in house league, it didn't seem like it was the end of the world, right? I mean, that's and that's like the world I grew up in, where you had a lot of chances to get cut or moved or didn't make a particular group. But now it's, it's, you know, to Roger's analogy, you know, it's either you're on or you're off. Like there's, there's not a lot of options for, for, for parents. And then it becomes, okay, I'm so mad that my kids should have made this team. I'm now going to leave and go to another organization that has the same amount of letters, but they have a space for me. And I, I think it just, it's it certainly, it's, it's diminishes it for the kid. But I think it diminishes it for all of us for, for mm -hmm. hockey, right? Because it's just diluting what we feel is an accomplishment. And I think, you know, and I think but we, we as, an or, as organizations, right, as hockey people, we just have to find better ways to have uh, more levels of good experiences so that when there is a kid cut, that there's a reason for it, there's a solution, and then there's a goal to get them right. Back to a place where maybe they could play at that higher level. You know, I, I want to jump in here because one of the things I love to do on our show is to provide solutions or gateways for parents, coaches, and players to start to go down this path. You know, one of the quotes that's been getting a lot of a lot of runs lately, um, but in a different way, was we, we all know Michael Jordan didn't make his high school basketball team. And what I've noticed is, you know, when I was young, it was like, he didn't make it. He tried hard and he made it right. And now that quote is turning a bit to it's he didn't make it his mother then. And this is the important part. His mother said, well, that's too bad. Work harder, basically. I mean, maybe not that harsh. And then he started working hard to make it. His mother had that impact. And I'm sure his father too, right? So that quote's kind of turned to not just, oh, Michael Jordan overcame the odds. The quote is like, he had good parents that didn't just let him cry about it. They told him to get up. Now we're talking about being even killed. We're talking about, you know, mentality. And th this is what I want to bring up because there is, there is things you can do. Right. And when I work with teams, especially in the group setting, we talk about being even killed. And the question is, how do I do that? Well, to Roger's point, to Christie's point, and Mike, to your point, those moments of devastation or even elation goes both ways. 
you can work on right then. You shouldn't be focused on the, I didn't make the team. You should actually be focused on the emotion, the devastation, acknowledge that emotion, right? Cause this is how you learn to get even keeled. A lot of people don't acknowledge their emotions. You, you get the hockey fan that throws something at his TV when his team loses. What are we teaching our kids? You have no control over that game, right? So my philosophies with this, or I try and keep it really simple is one is only focus on the things that you control. Number one, number two is live in the present moment as much as you possibly can. Right now, let's just take getting cut from a team. Mike, that your example, I wanted to play on this team. I didn't get on the team. Christy, you said this as a parent, you will be devastated for your kid. If they hurt, you hurt. That's the first thing you got to acknowledge. Right. The second thing you have to acknowledge and maybe talk to your kid about this is what are you feeling right now when they're ready to talk? Obviously, right after the moment is probably not the best time to do this. But what are you feeling? I'm feeling devastated. I'm feeling like they kicked me off the team. I'm feeling this. Okay, let's explore those emotions for a moment. Right. A lot of times we get parents like, no, be hard, be hard. Well, if we don't teach them how to deal with that, if they don't know what that emotion is, how can we expect them to be hard? You're telling them to bury it. What happens when you bury things? They explode. Burnout. Massive, massive problems. Right. So it's all about acknowledging the emotion and learning how to deal with that emotion. Same thing when you win. Right. It's a good feeling. But if you stay up there too long, you're going to eventually come down. Right. So, Roger, I didn't know if you wanted to comment on that, uh, but it's just a lot of that emotional stuff that people didn't want to talk about. It's very important to helping teach someone to be even keeled. Yeah, and it's 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 not easy. I mean, it's 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 great uh, in theory and stuff, and but when you're living through the moment, and and it's just human nature to protect your child. I mean, it's, right. You know, you stick your stick your hand in the bear's den, you're probably going to get bit or attacked. <laughs> so, you know, I, I I I think I think you know being a parent brings along some some just natural reactions, and um, I think when it when it comes to I think I think handling youth sports and and failure in youth sport is is a really important thing because there's going to be bigger fish to fry right in child's life than not making a team. Uh, there's going to be bigger moments that that that, that are going to be way more important than than that. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think um, I I always feel for the for the coaches that coach their own kids for a long period of time. Cause I always try to explain to them, like there's going to come a moment where you're going to need to be dad or mom. And it's not about the four check. It's not about a penalty you took. It's about some really tough stuff. Right. And you want them to, to really dial in on you and not think, Oh, it's coach talking again. Um, and so to, to step back sometimes um, and, and uh, not be as involved as we all want to be uh, is probably a pretty healthy move uh, at some point. You know, it brings me actually into the next question. Um, we talked about the trade-off at 12, 13, 14 from kind of parenting to letting the kid find their own way. I'd be remiss um, if I didn't ask you this, you know, so here's the thing. A lot of parents feel, or some parents feel like, Hey, my kid's going to make it or my kid's going all the way. And I look, I don't want to be ever the bad guy. That's like, look, nobody makes, I hate when people say that the truth is your kid might very well go all the way. We don't know. Right. But at that trade-off point, what are some of the, the tricks or what are some of the tips you can give parents, whether the kid's going all the way or not, like I'm not negating either side of that to assist the parent in that handoff. Right. Cause it, it's really hard. It's really hard for a parent to just kind of, I don't want to say fully let go, but stand back. Right. And say, Hey, 
If you want to do it, you'll do it. I've, I've told the story on this podcast many times how when I was that age, my father said to me, if you want to make it, you'll go out there and practice on your own. And that was the click for me. He said it right to my face. And I never had to ask him again to help me practice. I just did it. So what are the, the tips that you have for parents to a, recognize that maybe they're not letting go and then how to let go from that point? Well, I think if, 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 if mom or dad are, are the, the reason why the kid's working, then it's not, it's, it's a false, it's a false foundation and it's going to crumble. Right. Um, I think at, for parents, once they get to that certain age, you're, you're really there just as a support. You're there to drive them. You're there to, you know, maybe help financially to pay for some things. You know, you're there to, to watch and, and cheer. Um, but really the, the work and the desire to work and the, the, the drive has to purely come from the, the, the athlete. And the athlete needs to want it a lot more than mom or dad want it. Um, and that's, sometimes you just don't see that with the older athletes because a lot of cases, it, it, was, it, was, it was a false foundation to begin with early on. And, and I, I get parents of, of young players all the time ask me, listen, my, my kid doesn't want to go to the rink. And I said, well, don't go to the rink. <laughs> it's right. pretty simple. Well, I spent a lot of money on this. It's pretty simple. But, but I paid all this money. I go, yeah, but like it's, it's a sport. It's not school. You know, it's not mandatory. It's not something that's, that's, that's you know, uh, that really at the end of the day, that important. Um, and, and find something they do want to do. Um, that they are excited about. Uh, I, I always tell the story. There's, there's something you brought up, Lee, that I, I'd, I'd like to comment on too, that is that I, it drives me nuts when people throw out the stats of you, your kid only has 1% chance of going to play college. Yeah. yeah I hate that because, because that's the child's dream. And I would never, ever, ever say to a kid, you can't become a great musician. You can't become a great doctor. You can't become the smartest person on the planet. You can go do whatever you want to do. What's your drive? What's your passion? And it, sometimes we suck the life out of them by telling them they can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I hate that. I don't understand. No, I, mean, it's, I mean, imagine going to class and the, and the teacher's like, listen, you'll never, you'll never be an engineer. It's impossible for you. Right. And I'm like, well, why, why would you? I'm eight yeah. <laughs> and eight. I love Legos and I, and I like to, you know, I like to do these things, but I think it's, it's so crazy. Hey, Roger, I had a question. So the, the parents' side, I get it, right? That, that, you know, we have to do a better job of preparing our kids. What can we do as coaches? And I, I'm, a, I'm a parent coach. And I always try to preface this. I always get calls from, you know, especially this time of year, tryouts. Oh, I'm looking to leave my organization, Mike, and we'd like to come over and try out for your team. And I go, what, what's the problem with the team? It goes, oh, it's parent coaching. I go, well, just to let you know, we have four parent coaches. I said, but it's all, I think it's all how you use that parent coaching moniker, right? But what can we do as organizations and coaches and people that are making these cuts? Like, what could we do to make that experience a better experience for the family and the kids? Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, I think the reality of it is you're going to have parent coaches. I think, and that's perfectly okay. I think it's right. absolutely normal and perfectly okay. And there's some that handle that very well. And there's some that, that, I mean, I remember when I did finally get to coach my own son, my wife was like, how come, how come Dominic never gets to start? I was, I was <laughs> trying to prove I wasn't going to be that bad hockey parent. Right. So my own kid almost got 
the shorter end of the stick. And I, I have friends that, that are like that too. And we talk about it all the time. We try to go the other way. So there's a, there's a other side of that story. That's just as you know detrimental as taking too much care of your own kid. Right. <laughs> I got, I got home the other day and my wife had to watch the game on live bar and she can, and she goes, well, how come Michael doesn't get as much ice time as the other defense? I'm like, wait, whoa, whoa, we got a 24 hour rule here. I said, you got to wait on this. Said, exactly. you're, just watching, you're just watching your own kid. I think. <laughs> so I, I think at some point it's really important that they hear another voice. So yeah. whether it's this, one of the other coaches, um, if you're trying to be, you know, constructively criticize or coach them up or whatever, you know, tell them some things. Um, it's never, it's never a bad thing to, to uh, have some, another voice, because I think at some point you're going to have discussions with your child about, you know, their health, their, their schooling, their behavior, you know, the social interaction. I mean, how they use their cell phone today. I mean, there's so many other discussions that are going to be so much more important than, you know, what they did on the, on the penalty kill. Um, so, I think it's important that, 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 that you don't, you don't treat them unfairly either way, right. too positive, too negative, but that once in a while you have somebody else talk to them about the hockey stuff um, so that you can just be dad or mom. Um, and, and really hard thing is in the car ride home is go right to something besides what just happened. Even if it was a positive, just move on to something else. Cause the kids do. The kids want the stuff way quicker than we do. And, and it's hard. Like I, I, I look back at myself and I made some mistakes for sure. It's really hard because you, you, you know what your child wants, you know, how, how passionate they are about it and you want to fix it for them. And we can't, we can guide them, but we can't fix it. It's, that's, that's their responsibility, especially as they get older. It goes back to what you said too. Like, you know, I, I had this great coach tell me as a coach, this advice, he goes, coaches are always tough about following their own advice. And the thing is, as coaches, we fail too. And get, we have to embrace the failure as well to learn. But, you know, it's funny. We yeah. give out a lot of advice. Sometimes we don't follow our own advice. You know, another point, Roger, I wanted to bring up too. Um, sometimes adults forget how to be kids or forget what it was like to be a kid. You know, we talked about free play. And it's, I still play quite a bit. And don't get me wrong, I love the competition aspect of playing in an adult league. I really do. But I still love to play open hockey. And why? Because the same reasons the kids do. There's no refs. There's no score yeah. being kept. I can just go out there and have fun. It doesn't matter if I get scored yeah. on. You know, so that, that kid still really does live in us as adults. We just kind of forget or it transitions into something else or it becomes like a locker room talk type mentality. But the truth is, is that it never really goes away. We just kind of forget. So kids are also a gateway for us to learn about ourselves a little bit too. Um, and then another thing you both brought up that's funny. I remember um, I was watching my own, my kid's only seven. And, and I'll say this, this is going to sound kind of funny, but he's, he's pretty good at cutting down angles for some reason. I don't go into it any farther than that. I just noticed that. And I was talking to the head coach of my team, again, coaching moment for me. I said, yeah, he's really good at that. Like maybe he's going to be a defenseman. And he says to me, yeah, he's a defenseman this year. He's an offenseman last year, next year. You know, it's just, he's just like, he's seven. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's a good point. I don't, I'm not going to bring up him cutting off the angles. He'll just, he'll just do what he does. But uh, yeah, I know I'm always amazed by these conversations because, you know, and, and again, what you said, I've said this quote many times on the show about, you know, coaches who say things like you'll never make it. What's the point? Or we know, you know, I was told this, it's that as an adult, you don't have to support the dream that someone has, but you need to support their right to have a dream. 
right? So if your kid wants to be an NHL superstar, you might know in your head that might not happen, but you need to support their right to have that dream because from that dream, it's like a flower will bloom other things, the possibility of becoming whatever they want to be when they grow up or the possibility of knowing, hey, maybe I can try this entrepreneurship. I mean, there's so many roads that this could lead to, lead to, excuse me, you know, sports, hockey in our case, it's a vehicle for growth as a human being, more than just being for growth as a hockey player, you know, and, you know, you said earlier, I want to transition this a little bit. You said earlier that there are people that say that, well, the, the, the U.S. development model doesn't breed competition. Well, the statistics do not show that whatsoever. We've had more World Junior wins since this was introduced. We've had more players make the NHL since this was introduced. We've had more high-level hockey since this was introduced. There's nothing to actually prove the opposite, that it's actually done anything bad. It's done nothing but good for USA hockey. And you've been in that development model really since it launched about 20 years ago, 20-plus years ago. Um, so – and it's changed the experience for everybody from Adam up. That's the other thing. We talked about that earlier in the show, where even from the Adam level, it's all about having fun, right? So what has that experience been like watching this develop? It's still developing all the time, which is the genius of it. And what can we expect moving forward with the ADM? Yeah, I think it's, um, uh, it's been an interesting journey. It's, um, you know, I think at first it was all about selling, you know, trying to get people just to buy in, like this, right. this works and, and, and now I think we're at the phase where we still have to sell new parents. Certainly there's always new people coming into the sport and we always got to keep our eye on the ball with that. But now it's, it, we've seen some huge, it seems like it's taken forever. It seems like there hasn't been a lot of big change, but if you really, really dig deep, it's been change in anything is not easy. And when you're talking about dramatic change, you know, going from full ice to, to cross ice or half ice, taking checking, full body checking out of 12 and under um, and moving it up a, a, a group. Um, I mean, we've done some things that, that you know, taking icing out of out of penalty kill and for youth hockey. I mean, think about that. Think about some of the stuff that we allowed to happen that's just so anti-player development. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, so it, it's, it, it's, it's, been, it's been a blast. And the beauty of it is, is, as you mentioned, Lee, it works. Like it's not, it's not just theory and philosophy. This stuff really, really works. It's way more enjoyable once you do embrace it for the coaches, the parents, and the athletes. Um, and the impact is dramatic. Uh, and I think where we're going to be moving next is just helping people implement it cleaner. You know, I, I always use the analogy spinal tap. Like I'm going to come watch your practice. And your amp might go to eight. It's a pretty good practice, but how are we going to get your amp to go to 11? Right? Because if we can really maximize player development opportunities for our kids in our training, because of the lack of unstructured play, then that's a game changer. If we can get people to embrace the training model right. and kind of tamper down the competition model, we're going to develop a lot more well-balanced athletes. Because right now the competition, the biggest disappointment for me during COVID was I thought because kids couldn't travel around and play all these games that people would embrace practice more. And it happened a little bit. And Mike made a great point about the backyard rink and more outdoor unstructured. That was a huge plus. But what I really noticed was 
there was so much angst because they couldn't play their games and they right. couldn't go play against this team and they couldn't travel up to Boston and they couldn't do this and that. And it, it, it was a little disheartening, but it, it, it opened our eyes to something that we already knew. And that is that competition is King. And, and we have to, we have to understand that, but we have to make sure that practice and training is the priority that, that, that for, for the adults, for the right. adults that how we attack the training and embrace the training as parents and coaches and administrators is going to be the deciding factor on how well our athletes do as they move forward. Right. And parents should not get swept into, as we said at the top of the show, uh, your kid has to play at the highest level, be with the best to be the best. Every kid develops at a different pace. Right. And yeah. we saw that with our own daughter. You know, yeah. I, I mentioned earlier, she got cut from that triple a team so she played house for another year a house team actually allowed her to touch the puck a lot more get very creative it built her confidence and she finally as the one coach said unleashed the crack and she developed this incredible shot so good so she went made the high school team they won a state championship and early on when she didn't make that triple a team parents were saying oh she's never going to play college hockey that's it if she didn't make the team at this age age 13 forget about your dream of playing college hockey but she never did because she had a love for the game a willingness to figure out how to overcome that adversity and an injury you know she had a meniscus tear and she was on crutches for months but that didn't stop her because she has such a passion and a love for the game. Yeah. She's now playing college hockey. When age 13, all the naysayers said it would never happen. So don't yeah. underestimate your kids either. Support them in their dream, be there for them and let them figure it out for themselves. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we think we know, we don't know. Um, I always have a, a story I tell about, you know, evaluating somebody's talent at different stages. And my father had a uh, pretty famous rock and roll band in 1958. And, and he was in, a junior in high school and they toured the country. They had a number one song in the country and they were really, they were killing it. And their classmate, uh, one, one year ahead of them wanted to join the band. So they had him come over and he wanted to play keyboards and piano. And they had a little tryout in my grandparents' basement. And they did, they said, no, it's, you're not good enough. There's no chance you're going to, you're going to ruin whatever we got going positively. You're not, you're going to take us the other way. Well, that young man changed his name from Robert Zimmerman to Bob Dylan about three years later, went on to, to win a Nobel Peace Prize for literature and to um, <laughs> set the world on fire with music. So just the word of the wise to all the adults out there that are doing all these evaluating and, and, and deciding who's got talent, who doesn't. We don't know. We don't know what's on the Thank inside. you for that. That's a great story. So, Roger, I, I, I don't you. let my dad forget that very often, by the way. <laughs> That's a great story. Roger, I'm not going to lie to you. I had my I, life, too. <laughs> I had another story lined up, but it's not going to top that, so I'm not going to tell it. I, uh, I was, was going to say, I think that's actually a good place to move up. I was going to say, Christy or Mike, do you have any other questions before we close this out? Because that's a, that's a phenomenal story. That's the best way to add this block here. That was right. great. <laughs> right yeah, not gonna, not we gonna should talk. play a little, little dylan 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll get that on the the copyright on the way out. We'll make sure our producers (laughs) know. But Roger, that that is a great way to end the episode. I wanted to make sure that. But look, we really appreciate you coming on here today. We hope to have you back in the future. It's invaluable advice. And and for those of you listening at home, we hope you found it valuable as well. But Roger, again, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. It was a lot of a lot of fun, and and all the best to everybody. And that brings us to this point. If you enjoy this episode of Our Kids Play Hockey, we got a lot of them now. We're well over 20. Check us out on OurKidsPlayHockey.com for all of them, or you can listen to us wherever podcasts are out there, or you can watch us on YouTube or Facebook. Pretty much just search Our Kids Play Hockey, and you'll find us. So for Christy Acasciano-Burns, Mike Benelli, and Roger Grillo, I'm Lee Elias. Thank you so much for watching this edition of Our Kids Play Hockey, and we will see you next week. Have a great day, everyone. (laughs) 